This episode of Stuff You Should Know is sponsored by Squarespace. Whether you need a landing page, a beautiful gallery, a professional blog, or an online store, it's all possible with the Squarespace website. Go to squarespace.com and set your website apart. Welcome to Stuff You Should Know from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh Clark with Charles W. Chuck Bryant, and there's Jerry over there. So this is Stuff You Should Know. Howdy. (laughs) Before we get started, I want to say best of luck to my and Yumi's wonderful, great best friends, Braden and Laurel, who are at this moment in the delivery room. Whoa. Laurel's water broke. They're expecting their firstborn child. Wow. So by the time this releases, the kid will be like six years old. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Because <laughs> we, we have a six-year pot. Uh-huh. Yeah. So good luck, guys. Well, that's great. Yeah. You should tell them that personally so they nope. actually hear this. I nope. recorded it. That's enough. <laughs> gotcha. They'll get what they get and be happy with it. All righty. Yeah. You you uh, excited about woolly mammoths? I am. <laughs> you Are you not? No, I think it's... I think they're wonderful. Wooly, oh, yeah. wooly anything. Plus, also, like a woolly mammoth, they were they were sweet, good-natured. It's they could take a yeah. joke at their own expense, yeah. but they weren't self-deprecating. They, they just, you know, had a good sense of humor. Yeah. Anything related to an elephant mm-hmm. is okay in my book. Yeah, agreed. I have a very big love for that animal. Sure. Well, it's a big animal. It deserves a lot of love. They're just wonderful in every way. That they, they grieve over their dead. Oh, my God. There's this one story about um, Domini, I believe is the name of the elephant, mm-hmm. that um, I think he or she was in a zoo and had like a best friend, and the best friend died, and this elephant could not get over it. And she died of, I think the zookeeper is like, she died of a broken heart. Yeah, can't take that stuff. She, she grieved herself to death. Yeah. Um, and I think the story is even more tragic than that. I'm not doing it justice. But just go go research Domini the elephant, D-A-M-A-N-I. You're like, whatever. It's kind of funny. <laughs> right. <laughs> It'll tickle your ribs. I don't know if I did it justice. Did it come across as funny? <laughs> <laughs> Stupid elephant. Uh, well, you know what's even cuter than a woolly mammoth? Oh, yeah. Well, what's cuter than an elephant is an elephant with hair. Sure. So that's a woolly mammoth. Okay. Or a mastodon, as we'll talk about a little bit. Those are different. Totally different. Yeah, but they have hair. Not as much. Yeah, but they have hair. Yeah, but you wouldn't look at it and be like, oh, that's wooly. You'd just be like, that's kind of hairy. Yeah. Stubbly. But the only thing (laughs) cuter than a hairy elephant Uh is a tiny hairy elephant. Yeah. And there was a place, well, there still is a place, called Wrangell Island. And they don't have them anymore, but at one point, not too long ago. Yeah. In the grand scheme of, you know, the history of everything. Right. Uh, the Wrangell Island mammoths roamed the earth and they are, uh, how tall are they? Like human height, right? At the shoulder, they were four to six feet tall. Oh man. So yeah, it's like a mini woolly mammoth. Give me one. And they were directly descended from the woolly mammoths. They just ended up on this island and the island's Pretty good size. It's the size of Delaware, from what I understand. Oh, that's huge. But that's small enough. <laughs> but that's small enough. Well, for an island, you know. Sure. But it's small enough that that they became dwarf. They went under that. Um, what's that process called? Where a population lands on an island and it immediately begins to diminish in size. Oh, I don't know. I haven't heard of that. 
Island Fever, something weird like that. It's because they wanted to ride the roller coasters. <laughs> oh, no, wait, you'd have to be bigger. Maybe they were scared of roller coasters. That's what I meant. They're like, we're getting out of here yeah. and we're going to shrink. <laughs> so we couldn't possibly go on a roller coaster. But they, uh. I butchered that one. They were around for, you butchered them like a Wrangle Island woolly mammoth. No. So they were around, uh, until about 3,000 years ago. Something yeah. like 30, 3,600 years ago. I think they were the last of their kind were on Wrangle Island in 1650 BC. And dude, by that time, the pyramids were already a thousand years old. Yeah, like people, they shared territory with people. Mm-hmm. Uh, but most, I shouldn't say most, a lot of the woolly mammoths, especially the ones that lived at the end of the Pleistocene, Pleistocene. That's yeah. a tough one to say. I say Pleistocene, is it not? Yes, I think that's right. Okay. But I always want to like take continents and switch them around and shuffle it up. Well, you're an anarchist. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Especially with words. Yeah. Um, I even hate the word anarchist. <laughs> you call it anarchist. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, oh man, that threw me off. Sorry. Oh man, what was I saying? Pleistocene. Oh yeah, they did coexist with humans. Yeah. Like, it's the one thing the Flintstones were right about. Oh yeah. When you see a big woolly mammoth in Fred Flintstone, that was entirely possible. That's right. <laughs> the dinosaurs, the brontosaurus, all that stuff. Just fantasy. And if that woolly mammoth on the Flintstones was used to uh, wash a car or uh, some other household chore, Mm -hmm. completely real. (laughs) Right. Yeah, they were very helpful. In addition to having a great sense of humor, they would help you out around the house. That was one of my favorite uh, parts of the Flintstones. I remember when I was a kid watching that and just being so tickled every time a a bird's beak was used to play a record. And they were always just like so willingly like... Just tilt me down and I'll play your record. Yeah. I love that stuff. And then every once in a while they would thank the animal and the animal would be like, Sarai. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. Those were the days. So the Wrangell Island mammoths were around until about 3,600 years ago. Um, And they survived the extinction of the rest of the mammoths about 4,000 years earlier, right? Yeah. And if we're talking, like, if you look at the dinosaurs, they left us 65 million years ago. Mm -hmm. So this is all very... Recent stuff, like people hunted woolly mammoths and oh, yeah. ate them and used their bones and tusks and wore their skin yeah, like oh, Ed Gein. I, I imagine. And uh, uh, not worshipped, well, we don't really know for sure, but no, we don't. at least revered them enough to put them in their cave art. Yep. Uh, so this is all kind of really cool stuff to me. We know a lot about them compared to a lot of other extinct species. Right, but where they went remains a mystery. A bit. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely not definitive, and there's a lot of theories, but there's really... They melted. Remember that one? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what was that from? It was from a, one of our earlier podcasts. That was my personal theory on <laughs> like where like the proto-humans went or something. I don't even know. Yeah. They melted. Yeah, I forgot all about that. Yeah, it's an old one. Man. And not only that, my friend, but um, we have they have like relatives, distant cousins, still roaming the earth today. Mm-hmm. Because if you look at the African bush and the African forest elephants and the Asian elephant, which that, is actually the closest yeah, relative. It's very close. Yeah. not. I mean, it's close and distant, if that makes sense. It doesn't. All right. <laughs> <laughs> How do you mean? Well, I mean, it's close enough to say it's the closest relative, but they're still distant cousins. I see. You know, oh, they, okay. they don't so have the hair or the high sloping back or the curly tusk. Right. Or, yeah, with the finger-like grippers. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
but they're still pretty close. Close enough that some mad scientists are like, we can resurrect woolly mammoths using the Asian elephant. Yeah, because we have DNA. Right. Like when they found, and they have found a lot of these carcasses, mm-hmm. some some of them really intact. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, enough like there's brain and bone and blood and... Uh, yeah, basically the whole thing is yeah. just uh, slightly mummified, so there's like water loss. But other than that, it's all there. Yeah, like there's one called um, man, this is a tough word to say. And there's another another continent switcheroo. My brain wants to pull Liuba. It means love in Russian. Was this the little guy? Yeah, the little baby. Yeah, this was not a miniature. It was actually a calf. Right. It was a baby, baby woolly mammoth. Um, I think maybe like a month old or something like that, but it was still 33 inches. Yeah. And, and then in life would have weighed about, um, a hundred, a hundred kilos or 220 pounds. No, a hundred pounds, 50 kilos. That's missing half of its, um, weight in water. Oh, you mean while it was alive? Yeah. When you'd want to pick it up. Sure. And hug it. (laughs) Now, now you just kind of pat it on the head and be like, you stay over there. Yeah, when was that found? 2007? Yeah, and um, it was found perfectly preserved because apparently she had been colonized by a um, uh, some sort of uh, lactic acid-producing bacteria yeah. that effectively pickled her. So it preserved her, but it also made her very unappetizing to scavengers, too. Oh. She tasted weird. Yeah, yeah. Right? So um, she's a really good example of a, a woolly mammoth. and I can't remember how many tens of thousands of years old she is, but she's pretty old. Yeah. So we do have this access to all these great specimens. Yeah. And they've figured out that about the shelf life of viable DNA is a million years. Uh-huh. So there's plenty of woolly mammoths that whose DNA we have access to that's much younger than a million years old. Sure. And yeah, we'll talk about it, but some people are like, let's bring them back. Let's de-extinct them. Yeah, tricky territory. Oh, yeah. But it's a woolly mammoth. Pretty cute. It's not a saber-toothed tiger. Right. That's not tricky. You just don't do that. <laughs> uh, but the kind of the long and the short of all this with the distant cousins and all of the uh, uh, preserved carcasses we found is that we have a really robust picture of mm-hmm. how these things lived and, and what they were like. And um, I guess we'll take a break here and we'll get a little bit into their... Uh, you know, their nine-to-five job. We'll go back to the mammoth world. All right, so uh, if you picture in your mind a woolly mammoth, you might think, all right, uh, frozen wasteland. Mm-hmm. Uh, and like Siberia. Right. And they just eat like uh, snow. Right. Snow wrong. Cones. Snow cones. That's wrong. I'm sure they appreciate a good snow cone. Um, they like Italian ice more than the snow cone. <laughs> well, They're a little more European. But uh, what was actually going on is they were they were trotting upon land. It was called a, a mammoth step, uh, S-T-E-P-P-E. Mm-hmm. Not the S-T-E-P variety. Sure. There's an extra P-E. Yeah, like a steppy. Boy, it's not pronounced steppy, is it? No. Okay. <laughs> no. When you first encounter the word, it is. Right. Uh, and this is, this was basically, it was sort of a, a, a unique time in the, in the history of 
planet Earth in that uh, it was rich. Uh, these areas were rich with stuff for them to eat, just like overloaded with vegetation. Right. Yeah. One thing and about they were veggie eaters. Yeah, they were. They were um, actually um, grassland grazers. You can yeah. call them. So they ate long, um, long grasses, mm-hmm. sedges, which is like a fake grass. Mm-hmm. But herbs? for all intents and purposes, yeah. They herbs. came upon a basil field, man. It was all over. And they were like, oh, man, <laughs> it's Italian night. Yeah. So um, they ate grasses and uh, they were herbivores. And uh, they ate this pretty specific diet. And it certainly wasn't snow-based. No. And it was definitely colder, which is, I think, another reason why people think um, they 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 lived in a frozen wasteland. Right. Well, because they needed that coat. They did. And the reason why is because they were living in the Pleistocene, which was definitely, it was, it was a series of ice ages, right? Yeah. Um, so it was colder. It was like five to 10 degrees Celsius colder than it is globally now. Mm-hmm. But the, the whole ecosystem was just utterly different than what it is today. Yeah. So like if you did manage to bring back a woolly mammoth and you put them on the Siberian steppe, they'd be like, well, I'm going to starve. Yeah. There's nothing here for me to eat. Yeah, things you, have changed. If too you much. put them in Arizona or New Mexico or some place where it might kind of look the same mm-hmm. with the shrubbery and brush and grasses, yeah, uh, they would say, "Nah, can't live here either." Gonna die here too. It's too hot. Why did you bring me back? Uh, you guys really didn't think this through. <laughs> That's right. Uh, but what you also had though is a pretty nice. I mean, it was colder, but it was it was kind of nice weather for a woolly mammoth. Yeah, it was uh, the the sea levels had dropped, so it exposed all this great land for them to roam. Yeah, and it was very breezy and clear and kind of lovely. Easy breezy, beautiful. Easy breezy, beautiful for a woolly mammoth. Yeah, because again, well, we'll we'll talk about their coat. Actually, yeah. we can talk about it right now. So their coat was. Um, are you familiar with a musk ox? Oh yeah, it was like that. Mm-hmm. It was like a skirt of long hair, but beneath that was. A woolly undercoat that really kept them warm. Yeah, the outer coat, and we've talked about a lot of mammals. Most of them have like layers of different kinds of fur. Yeah, but um, the outer coat was the guard fur, and then under, like you said, was the uh, the woolly undercoat. And below that, they had an inch of skin, very oily. Mm-hmm. And below that, they had three to four inches of fat. And all of this stuff made them nice and cozy and warm. I'll bet they were delicious. To eat? Mm-hmm. Oh, man. Oily skin, inches of fat. Yeah. I'm just going to ignore that. All right. Uh, 20 hours a day they spent eating, uh, I guess, fattening themselves up for for me. For you. <laughs> <laughs> so they would just roam around and eat, man, and get along with each other. They were, you know, I was about to say peaceful, which they kind of were, unless they were... Uh, infringed upon and you don't want to mess with the woolly mammoth alone. Right, no, they they uh this article puts it that in a standing fight they could take all comers. Sure. They were definitely like they could defend themselves. Yeah. And for the most part apparently the the major predators of the day um would not have taken a, a healthy adult mammoth on. No. They they would have like maybe followed a, a herd because mm-hmm. the mammoths um it were, if you saw a single mammoth, it was a male. Yeah. Or if you saw a herd of them, it was females 
and calves. Female calves, yeah. Right. Or it could be male calves that oh, were really? nursing still before they went off on their own. Oh, I guess teenagers. they sent them off pretty young, though. The males, uh, I, at least. I think maybe starting when they were teenagers. Okay. Um, and either way, no short-faced bear or saber-toothed tiger <laughs> is going to take on one of these guys by themselves. It'd be like a, a calf that fell behind. Yeah, sadly. Toast. Yeah. Um, or like a, a one that was sick or dying or trapped in like a tar pit. You would leap out with your Clovis spear. <laughs> my knife and fork. <laughs> and have dinner. My napkin tied around my neck. Uh, and they were, <laughs> they did, you know, share their, their area with these fearsome creatures like the saber-toothed tiger. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there was actually something called a woolly rhinoceros, which is exactly what you think it is. Yeah, I'll bet you would not want to mess with that. I'd want to scratch him behind the ear. Oh, rhinoceri are tough and mean. I know that's the problem with me, is I see these things and I think, like a big tiger, mm-hmm. I think all that guy needs is, he looks like my cat, you know? You should not go it's live among a, the grizzly bears. It's just to give him a good scratch behind the ear and they're like, oh, well, I kind of like this guy. He's not out to get me. That's not what they do. I know. But that's why I, I don't take safaris. I'd be the dope that, you know, tried to pet the, the, the cheetah. Oh my God, did you see the video of the woman who got out of her car in a tiger preserve and was no. like, Psh! there's like a, it's like a, like a security camera. Uh-huh. So it's a steady shot. And the, I don't know what the lady was doing out of the car. I think maybe in China. Uh, one of those awful, uh. And she's just standing there one second. And then all of a sudden a tiger comes in frame and just pulls her right out of frame. Wow. And then like, uh, her sister and husband get out of the car. And I think her sister was killed as well, and the husband like just runs back and dives into the car. Yeah. But what were they doing out of the car? And like this huge tiger, at least the size of the woman, just comes and just grabs her. It was nuts. Well, really disturbing. Yeah. I don't want to see that then. You probably shouldn't. You'd still be like, I'd still pet that tiger. No, I wouldn't pet that tiger. I'd pet another one. (laughs) What was the name of uh, the grizzly man? Timothy Treadwell or Treadway? I think Treadwell. Man. Yeah, that was a disturbing, uh, the you, best. You should destroy <laughs> yeah, the city. That was the best part, was Werner Herzog. That's a terrible he should, Herzog. He should narrate everything. He should. He should do every commercial voiceover, every, uh, documentary, just you name it. He should do this podcast. They should go back and redo the voiceover that Alec Baldwin did for the Royal Tannenbaums. (laughs) (laughs) Put a different spin on things, I think. Royal was born in Archer Avenue. (laughs) (laughs) Now that's a good Herzog. It's not bad. All you have to do is try and do it like an evil, mad German scientist or something. Or Colonel Klink. Yeah, Colonel Klink. Um, Where were we? We were talking about how um, they could... Defend themselves. But oh, right. You'd still want to pet them, and they'd probably be okay with you petting them. They'd just accidentally trample you. Yeah, exactly. Like, uh, those, like a real elephant. Uh, <laughs> those little calves were born in the springtime, uh, and here's something that'll come into factor later when they were wiped from the planet. They have a very long uh, gestation period. It's 22 months. Mm-hmm. So, you know, they're not pumping out these calves with great regularity. <laughs> it takes a long time. Right. Almost two years. Yeah, that's, that's a while. So they would have been impregnated, I guess, uh, summer, late summer, a year previous. Mm-hmm. And then born in the spring because they adapted to do that because there was more to eat. 
you know? Yeah, that makes sense. It's like, it's lovely. There's stuff blooming everywhere. Look at that basil field. Right. And so it, we don't know exactly what their society was like, but just based on modern elephants, paleontologists have surmised that they were very social, most likely. Yeah. There's mammoth trackways that we've found, fossilized footprints, um, that show a number of mammoths walking side by side and amongst one another. Um, and they're clearly different size footprints. Yeah. So there's different generations all walking together, which would indicate that they probably have similar societies to elephants, right? Right. Like bury their dead and stuff like that. Yeah. Defend their dead, grieve over them. Mm-hmm. Man, it's really tough. Um, and that they probably came together in annual migrations, although the evidence for that is still lacking. Right. And if they did migrate, I think I saw somewhere that they probably didn't go more than 400 miles. So still, yeah, that's, I don't go more than 400 miles when I walk. I don't either anymore. So hats off to the mammoths for walking that far. Uh, when they would go into, uh, heat, the female, like many mammals and many animals, there would be a competition of sorts among the men, uh, everywhere from, you know, puffing their chest out and flaunting mm-hmm. to just straight up fighting with one another. Right. I guess if times were tough, there weren't a lot of ladies around. And, and that is a lot like the modern elephant as well. Uh, and in that they had what's called a must <laughs> gland. M-U-S-T-H. Not musk, which is easy to say. Yeah. Must. Must. It's even like, harder with the air. It's like escaping. saying musk when you've been drinking a lot. I know. That's exactly what it sounds like. Or if you're Cindy Brady. Right. Or if you're missing a tooth. Right. Two it's weeks, all one and the way. same. Two weeks. Oh, yeah? You're getting psyched? I am getting psyched. And uh I'm also was like, can I just get it done before this? Like, I'm going to Paris for three days, for God's sakes. Mm-hmm. And I was reading about Paris, and they're like, if you don't want to stand out, you know, Americans are kind of, if you want to blend in, Ameri- uh, French or Parisians are kind of chic. <laughs> like, you know, you should, you know, clean cut and, you know, you shouldn't wear t-shirts and shorts <laughs> and tennis shoes. You're and dead. it's like, man, I'm going to be the most American dude there. <laughs> you might as well just go with it. Wear like, there's nothing chic about me. Yeah. Just walk around in your me undies and an ill-fitting t-shirt and flip-flops. Is it like born in the USA t-shirt? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. With an American eagle on your head. Yeah, and on the back it says, have you seen my tooth? <laughs> They're going to love you. Yeah, we'll see. <laughs> You'll I be know. fine. Well, we're also going to the land of bad dentistry. So, Where is that? In the UK, they're going to welcome us with me with open arms. Oh, yeah. They're going to be like, he's one of us. Is that a thing still? I thought, no, I'm sure it's gotten better, but it's still a, a joke that we can make. Oh, gotcha. I think so. Or Mike Myers can. We'll find out. Yeah. We have no idea how our humor is going to go over there. <laughs> Probably fall flat. Uh, we'll see. Um, all right. So they're, they have the musk gland and that secretes a uh, fluid, which, um, I, and I think that just sort of, it says here, it establishes their high, their mating hierarchy. There, it's like a pheromone gland. Yeah. yeah. So whoever has it the best musk. Musk. Not must. Oh, it does secrete musk? I'm sure. You okay. could call it that. <laughs> or it secretes must. Well, let's talk about their tusks. Because here's something I didn't know. Okay. The tusks actually have evolved from their incisors. I, I didn't. I mean, it makes perfect sense. 
it's like Lisa Simpson with that, um, where, where she didn't have a, a dental plan. So like her <laughs> tooth was going to grow up through her face. Oh, Do you yeah. remember Did that? Did they have like a projection or something? Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. I remember that. Uh, yeah, that's exactly what it's like actually. <laughs> but these grow <laughs> outward. Yeah. And they twist around, you know, if you've seen pictures of mammoths before, if not, look one up and it's not like a standard, just curvy elephant tusk. It's just beautiful the way it swoops around. Yeah. And I I believe like they could get up to like 16 feet long. Woo! It's enormous. Wow. That's a big tusk. Uh, and we'll talk a little more about how they were used, but, um, they, here, here to me is one of the saddest things. They go through, well, first of all, their other teeth are a foot long. They're molars, which is remarkable. Mm -hmm. And they go through six sets of teeth, like the modern elephant, over a 60 year lifespan. And they die after the last set of teeth is worn out. Yeah. And that's just like the saddest thing ever. They eat their last prune and keel over. Yeah, like I guess they, I mean, to me, as a human, I assume they sense this. Mm-hmm. Like, these, this is it. Well, that, and then they see me stalking them with my <laughs> knife and fork and napkin. Because I wouldn't kill a mammoth. I'd just eat it after it died of natural causes. Oh, well, that's different. Sure. You just wait it out until they had a, mm-hmm. lost those teeth. I'm like a jackal or a vulture. Would a herb, herbivore taste uh, better or worse than a... Beautiful. Yeah? Uh, yeah, grass-fed. All right. Uh, Chuck, let's take a break, and we'll come back, and we're going to talk about where woolly mammoths come from, came from, past tense. All right, we're back. We're going to finish strong, my friend. So, you know, woolly mammoths resemble elephants. Sure. They have a common ancestor. And what's that? There's a very primitive elephantine animal, a type of animal called the proboscidean. And actually, if you look at the woolly mammoth, the mastodon, some of those old ancient ones, um, their, their order they, bo- they belong to. So I think it goes species, genus, order. No, species, genus, family, order. Yeah. The order they belong to is, um, proboscidea. Oh. And it's like, um, like a, a, you know, a bug has a proboscis. Proboscis. Same thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's ba- gr- basically, uh, Greek for nose, I believe. Yeah, it is. So that's, the Greeks were just poking fun at their noses. Yeah. And they, uh, this, uh, split off from the, 55 million years ago, it split off from the mammalian tree. It was a long time ago. Right. And all this is happening in Africa. The, el- the elephant family, the pro, probis- proboscidians. Yeah. They all were found in Africa. That's where they evolved. And then they eventually spread out of Africa up into the Sinai and over into Europe and then up into Asia, just like humans did. Yeah. Um, and, I think something like seven million years ago, the first mammoths developed in Africa. Yeah, they weren't out. woolly. No, they weren't. And we'll get to why in a second. Yeah. They were like, they were mammoths, but they, yeah, they weren't woolly, like you say. They hung around in Africa for about four million years. About three million years ago, they started to spread. And then about 1.7, 1.8 million years ago, the earth changed dramatically. It entered the Pleistocene. And again, the Pleistocene was characterized with 
huge dips in global temperature. It'd been a hot house up to that point. Yeah. And all of a sudden it's like getting cold and there's like glacial periods and all that. And now the mammoths are starting to adapt to the cold. Now they became woolly and, um, kind of differentiated from southern mammoths, uh, and became woolly mammoths. Yeah, there was one in particular, the largest one of all, uh, the step mammoth. Uh, and this sucker was 14 feet. And that's always at the shoulder, right? Yes. Isn't that correct? I wonder why they don't measure from the top of the head. Because uh, you can like make yourself seem taller by lifting your head up. And they would do that when you... Yeah. <laughs> mammoths, great sense of humor, uh-huh. delicious, really uncooperative at the doctor. Right, wanted to be taller. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this one they think originated in northeastern Eurasia and, uh, was the ancestor most likely of the woolly mammoth. It was shaggy, but mm-hmm. not woolly. No, it wasn't woolly. And the woolly mammoth actually is the smallest of them all. Right. So not only did they adapt to the cold with their woolly coat, right? Mm-hmm. They actually had some really interesting adaptations with their blood. And, um, one of the things they figured out that it was that the woolly mammoth had this pretty cool system where their arteries, which carried warm blood from the heart to the extremities, yeah. were really close to their blood vessels, which brought deoxygenated cold blood from the extremities back to the heart. Yeah. Well, the fact that the arterial blood vessels were close to the veins means that the warm blood would actually warm the the blood in the veins on the way back to the heart. Pretty neat. So that the heat never really made it out of the core. It kept the core very warm. Yeah. Which is important. Um, and it meant the extremities were very cold, which is much less important as long as you still have blood flow. As long as you have socks. Right. And then they also had this hemoglobin that could... So hemoglobin clomps onto oxygen and delivers it throughout the body, right? Yeah. Well, it takes a little bit of heat energy to get the hemoglobin to let go of the oxygen. Uh-huh. But you want as much heat energy as you can possibly have if you're a woolly mammoth on the steps. Yeah. Right? Um, so they figured out, get this, by taking 43,000-year-old woolly mammoth DNA, isolating the genes that expressed hemoglobin or that led to the expression of hemoglobin, and then ins- inserting it into E. coli bacteria and getting the E. coli to manufacture woolly mammoth hemoglobin. Yeah. And then it- analyzing that hemoglobin. And the researchers were saying, like, if we had a live, well, if we built a time machine and went back in time 43,000 years and took blood hemoglobin from this woolly mammoth, it would be this exact same substance. Yeah. We've brought back woolly mammoth hemoglobin. And from studying it, they found out things like it required less heat energy to release oxygen, so thus conserving more heat. Well, and they're not the only ones either. Weren't there a lot, or they speculate at least, there were a lot of uh, cold-adapted animals that had that same feature. Mm-hmm. Pretty cool. Yeah. Um, all right, so the wool- we're finally at the woolly, smaller woolly mammoth, right? Yeah, they're the smallest of all the mammoths. Yeah, 400,000 years ago. And the first one of those was actually found in 1806 uh, in Siberia from a, a botanist named Mikhail Adams. And um, <laughs> these dudes, like, they were widespread. They went as far as modern-day Ireland. Yeah. And then across the Bering Land Bridge, or, sorry, the Bering Strait. Was mm-hmm. it the Bering Land Bridge? Mm-hmm. And, yeah, the Strait's the water. Yeah. And then they roamed the east coast of the United States. 
and up into Canada and down into Mexico. They went even, uh, yeah, they went west in the United States How and North America. How far west did they get? Pretty far west. Oh, they did? Yeah. Okay. Um, west and a little bit south because at the time, some of the glacial, glacialization would come as far south as like covering Chicago entirely in a glacier. Oh, right. So they were a little further south and they loved the Great Plains. Because the Great Plains were still the Great Plains back then. Right. Good and yeah, they would eat the grasses. But they also coexisted or shared the North American continent with another type of woolly mammoth that was indigenous to North America, the um, Colombian or Jefferson mammoth. Yeah, that's the one that actually spent time in Mexico. In Nicaragua, I think, as far south as Nicaragua. Yeah, which is, yeah, it's pretty amazing. Of course, the weather was different back then. Yeah. Like we said. But but still, I mean, they were closer to the equator, and it was definitely warmer. So they were a different species of woolly mammoth or of mammoth. Yeah. But they were pretty closely related. And I think they were actually um, descended from the steppe mammoth as well. Yeah. And they were, you know, they were, they didn't need the weather just to be one thing. They they were pretty adaptable. Mm-hmm. Um, not completely, as we'll see, because climate change probably did factor in. Uh, although not specifically because of, like, the temperature. Um, well, we might as well talk a little bit about that, huh? Are we there yet? With the temperature? Well, no, like maybe where they went. Oh, well, it's a big mystery, like I was saying. Uh, no one knows. Case closed. Yeah. <laughs> well, they have some ideas, uh, and one of them is climate change, but um, like I was hinting at, not necessarily like the temperature was something that affected them. It was more how the temperature affected their habitat. Shrinking their habitat yeah. is what ultimately I think had a lot to do with it. I think so too. There's, well, there's, so there are a number of theories. One was like a meteorite. They never found any evidence for that. Nope. Um, uh, maybe like a superbug got them. Doubtful. Yeah. And so it came down to humans overhunting them, which is called the overkill hypothesis, mm-hmm. and then climate change hypothesis. And I think of those two, if I had to choose, I'm with you. I think the climate change is what got them. I think it's a little bit of both. I, um, I think ultimately it is, too. But I think humans finished off something that was a, a process that was already inevitable. Yeah, like here, here's what happens. Here's a bad thing if you're a mammal or any animal. <laughs> it's a bad ma- bad mammoth day. If, you're, uh, if your ecosystem is shrinking... And your available food source is shrinking, mm-hmm. and you continue to move where that is. You become isolated, and your area is smaller and smaller, and that eventually is super bad news. Mm-hmm. What you want, if you're a wide-ranging uh, mammal like that, is especially a big one that needs like 400 pounds of food a day. Yeah, you you want to be able to travel a long way to get as much food as you can, sure, because you're eating 20 20 hours a day. But uh, if your habitat is shrinking, uh, yeah, that's what I meant. Habitat, not ecosystem. Although that works. Yeah, it definitely works. Um, so the climate, uh, climate change melted those glaciers, sea levels rose, and then the land shrank, became covered with water. Yep. And the woolly mammal was like, eh, things well, aren't looking so good. Well, plus not only that, with the change in climate and the warming of the, the earth, or the climate, I should say, um, their, their food supply, not just the amount of food, but the type of food available diminished. Like yeah. I said, you couldn't take them and put them on the, the Siberian steppe today. It's different plants that are there. Right. They weren't necessarily adapted to eat those things. You need yeah. certain enzymes to break down certain types of sugars and stuff like that to gain energy from it. And as their food changed, they got to be in big trouble. Yeah. Um, 
that's the climate change hypothesis. Yeah. The overkill hypothesis says that somewhere around 12 to 13,000 years ago, humans showed up in North America and right about the same time within a thousand years, there were no more woolly mammoths. And not just woolly mammoths, there's something called the, um, North American megafauna extinction. Yeah. Where mammals, I think 90 genera, so not even species, but genera, the next level up in classification, a lot of animals, 90 of them weighing over, um, I think 90 pounds, 44 kilograms, um, just all died off around the same time. Yeah. I think uh, we covered this in the extinction. Yeah. Surely. Sounds really familiar. Or like the Clovis one, maybe. Yeah. Um, and a lot of people say, well, clearly it was humans. And it, it makes a lot of sense. It, it has some legs. It's humans. A lot of people do think humans did show up around that time in North America. Um, the fact that it happened so quickly. Yeah. And then the point that I think about the overkill hypothesis that really drives it home to me, although I'm, I'm more on the climate change bandwagon, um, is that these North American mammoths would not have co-evolved with humans. Yeah. Like African ones did. So the African ones survived, the elephants down there. Yeah. They survived because they co-evolved with humans and came to understand that humans are dangerous. The ones here in North America wouldn't have been innately afraid of humans yeah. or seen them as dangerous and so could have been easy pickings for humans. The big problem is, is there's not that much evidence of humans mass hunting these things. Well, maybe not mass hunting. They have found, um, they have found like these spears and things in mammoth bones, mm-hmm. uh, the Clovis point, which yeah. is uh, what we were talking about earlier. And we do know that they use their fur and they like to use their ivory and they like to eat them. But the problem with that mm-hmm. is that, um, a mammoth would have fed a lot of people, right? especially in that cold weather, you know, this natural preservation going on. So they could have lived and used that, that, that like a single adult ma- or uh, mammoth for a long time, sure. which means they're not going to be hunting like five of them a day. Uh, and there's also evidence that they were revered somewhat by their cave art. So there are people who think that maybe it was like the buffalo with mm-hmm. the uh, Native Americans. Maybe they respected it and, and managed it. Yeah. And didn't say, hey, let's kill millions of these over a span of months. Right, this is a, a very Euro-American mentality. I mean, that's where the buffalo almost went extinct. Yeah. Was when Euro-Americans came over and said, "Let's start shooting." That's that, that doesn't mean that that's what Native Americans did. Right. And plus, also, there were plenty of mammoths that went extinct, or the mammoth species in the steppes and in Europe went extinct too. And there were humans over there for a long time. Yeah. So. It's not like the humans suddenly arrived everywhere. Right. But yet the mammoths died out at about the same time throughout the world. Yeah, plus mostly people hunted uh, smaller game, small to medium game mm-hmm. back then. Like dogs. <laughs> Maybe. But, uh, you know, a mammoth, like what? It, it was probably an intimidating kill, first of all. Right. Uh, and, you know, what do we do with all that stuff? Yeah. So, I mean... It's it's like we were saying. It is a mystery still. Exactly what happened to him? I, I, I again, my bets on climate change, but obviously humans did kill or at least butcher mammoths. Yeah, but I don't think they killed or, them out of existence. So I yeah. agree. Uh, and then that that leads us to that last point, though, 
about bringing them back. Good idea, bad idea? I mean, it's always a bad idea, isn't it? I think so, but you can Things also make the reasons. case. But do they? I mean, that's a pretty fatalistic view. Like, you can also make the case that if you believe that humans hunted them to extinction, well, then maybe it's our moral obligation to no. bring them back if we can. That's true. And that's the view, I think, of, remember um, the 10,000 clock, 10,000 year clock episode we did? Oh, yeah. So the Long Now Foundation, um, they're big into that. The people who made the 10,000 year clock, uh-huh. they're big into the de-extinction movement. Oh, to bring in things back? Mm-hmm. Hmm. And there's two ways you can do it. You could take a, you could take as much viable DNA from a woolly mammoth as you can get your hands on. Yeah. And insert it into an Asian elephant's DNA. Yeah, a little IVF treatment. Yeah, and then make a hybrid. Yeah. And then over time, you breed out the Asian elephant stuff through a breeding program until you have a pure woolly mammoth. Mm-hmm. And then the other one is to take a the nucleus of a, a, a woolly mammoth cell yeah. and implant it into an embryo. Well, that's IVF, sorry. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. And then you've just cloned a woolly mammoth. Yeah. After it just stays in a, in a poor elephant who's like, what, what are you guys doing? I wonder if the elephant, when it was born, would be like, whoa. Right, that's what I'm saying. saying. Look at this thing. Yeah, this is is a woolly mammoth, you guys realize. It's Rosemary's baby. Yeah. So they, um, I think there's groups working on both of those. And the the ethics are questionable. Sure. Because, I mean, like, I'm sure it's going to sound preposterous to some people, but what about that elephant mom? Like, you know, is she going to care for this baby? How is it going to affect yeah. her? How will it affect the baby? Um, it's just a, it raises a lot of questions. And plus also everyone is pretty much in agreement that there's no way this thing could ever live in the wild. Right. So, so you'd be breeding them to live in captivity. Yeah. To charge people money to come see him. Right. So yeah, no, I agree with you. No, yeah. I'll eat them, but <laughs> so we teased about the mastodon earlier. Um, and you found this was a mental floss thing, right? Yeah. The difference between a mammoth and a mastodon. Yeah, because they coexisted here in the U.S. The mammoth is not a great metal band, first of all. <laughs> right. Like Atlanta's own mastodon. Yeah. Who, by the way, our old friend uh, Chris, bass player in my band, he was at his one of his kids, uh, or not one of his kids, he only has one kid, his kid's <laughs> soccer game. And the lead guy from Mastodon was right there. His kid is on the same soccer team. The one with the face and neck tattoos? Yeah. That guy? Mm-hmm. That's awesome. And he was like, I know who you are, by the way. Right. Big fan. Yeah, that's cool. He's like, yeah, let's talk soccer. Did they? Yeah. Nice. Anyway, they're just like normal people. Sure they, they are. Kids that play soccer. Yeah. Even though he's a metal god. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what does that have to do with the woolly mammoth? Not Nothing. much. Uh, their teeth is where you can tell the big diff that's, is, uh, yeah. is that the only way? These days, it's pretty clear that that's the only way to tell. Well, the hair was a little different and they, they don't have the high sloping back and their no. tusks are a little straighter. They look a lot more like elephants than a mammoth does. Yeah. Cause a, a mammoth looks elephant time, but it looks like, especially when you put it next to an elephant or a mastodon, it looks like a totally different animal. Yeah. Agreed. Uh, but the teeth is the giveaway. The, um. Uh, the elephant molars, oh, I'm sorry, the mammoth has elephant-like molars, mm-hmm. and they are like cheese graters. Or like the sole of like a running shoe. Yeah. Sure. It's used to just grind through some 
some leaves, some yep. grasses. Lovely. Right. Uh, the Macedon, actually, the word means nipple tooth. Or boob tooth. Which is, I bet you that was a lot of fun on the playground. <laughs> <laughs> nipple tooth. Right. <laughs> it's because they have like, um, conical bumps on their molars. Yeah. That reminded this anatomist from the, I think the early 19th century, Georges Cuvier. Mm-hmm. He said, well, these bumps look like breasts, so we're going to name them breast tooth. And also, I've been out alone with my <laughs> journal for far too long. <laughs> Help. Yep. You got anything else? Wasn't there something about uh, Thomas Jefferson? He was into the mastodons. They were actually, the mastodon. He collected them? People. The bones? He, that was, he was convinced that there was a mammoth still alive out west. Remember in our Lewis and Clark episode? Yeah. That was one of the reasons Lewis and Clark went out west was to look for mammoths. Because he was just convinced they were out there. And he thought they were meat eaters, though. He did. I think he was part of that train. Ben Franklin was like, "Mm, I think you could probably also eat branches and stuff, which is what mastodons ate. But the mastodon became like the earliest symbol of America. Yeah. An American like, yeah, let's mess stuff up. Let's, Let's kick some butt. Yeah. The, it came from the Mastodon. And the Mastodon also, this is like a hundred years before they were finding, um, mammoths. Um, they, it proved for the first time the idea of extinction. Before that, everybody was like, the, the earth was created 6,000 years ago. Yeah. Uh, everything was in the Garden of Eden. There was a flood, so we lost some things, but, the, everything else is exactly the way it's supposed to be. Yeah. And uh, the mastodon teeth that they were finding, and eventually the bones proved that there were things that had lived before that were not alive any longer, and extinction became a, a, a scientific thought. Amazing. That's a nice little cherry on top. Yes. Told you we'd finish strong. We did, didn't we? And by we, I mean you. Us, Chuck, us. <laughs> Uh, if you want to know more about mammoths, you should type that word in the search bar at HowStuffWorks.com. And since I said search bar, it's time for listener mail. Hey, guys. This is my first time emailing because I was waiting for an opportunity to tell you some stuff you should know. It finally came today in the form of Book Talk with Josh and Chuck. Remember that? Yeah. In the Moonwalk episode? I think so. And uh, you said that I had said previously I didn't give a book much. And I was like, I don't think I said that. Turns out I did say that. I just don't remember. Because I rarely read books that I have to put down. Right. Oh, uh, I want to say also one other thing. I'm sorry. Uh-huh. The guy who wrote Head Full of Ghosts, Paul Tremblay, I believe, uh-huh. um, somebody tweeted to him and said, hey, you got to mention in this episode. And I guess he went and listened. He was like, that was great. And now I know how to moonwalk. Nice. And then he tweeted sometime later. He's like, okay, it's been eight hours and I still am not moonwalking well. And I guess they're making a movie out of his, his book. With uh, uh, Robert Downey Jr. Oh, wow. It's going to be big. Well, I wonder if that was because of us. Probably. <laughs> they were like, we're kind of on the fence, and then they heard our Moonwalk episode, and they green-lighted it. Wow. Uh, so, guys, I was excited to hear you rambling about books, something I love dearly, and a nice change of pace from Movie Talk with Josh and Chuck. Mm-hmm. Not that I don't love Movie Talk. Or Booze Talk with Josh and Chuck. Yeah, those are the only three things we talk about. Yeah. Uh, you talked about how long each, uh, give a book before you give up on it. Did you know there is a rule for that? Nancy Pearl's rule of 50. You ever heard of this? No. She says, I assume Nancy is a woman, uh, if you are younger <laughs> than 50, you should read 50 pages before deciding to give up. Okay. And for every year older than 50 that you are, subtract one page 
so 51, 49 pages, and so on. At 100, you judge a book by its cover, literally. How about that? Mm-hmm. Th- who's this? Nancy it's- from Hart? Nancy Wilson? Nope. Uh, I'm going to see Hart soon, though. Oh, for, like, are they opening for somebody, or then, are they headlining? Their cheap trick is opening, and Joan Jett are opening for Hart. Awesome. Triple bill. Yeah, that's a heck of a bill. Yeah, I can't wait. Um, so Nancy Pearl says, yeah, 50, and then subtract a page, because obviously life is getting short. You don't have a, enough time sure. to waste time. Yeah. So by the time you're 100, you just look at it and go, nah. And you could keel over just looking at a book. You could. Uh, also, if you haven't heard of Nancy Pearl, she's great. Uh, she's probably the most famous librarian. Oh, okay. There, there you go. go. I love that. Uh, at least, well, is there more than one famous librarian? There's got to be. Oh, man. If she's the most famous, then there have to be other famous ones. John Dewey, inventor of the Dewey Decimal System. <laughs> That's right. Uh, she says at least she's up there, and uh, she even has her own action figure, librarian action figure. That's awesome. Uh, I just got my master's in library science last year, so I'm a Nancy Pearl fan. Uh, multiple professors of mine have had the action figure in their offices. I love this story. Chris uh, Paulette, he went to become a librarian. Oh yeah, he he deserves an action figure too. Oh, I bet he's he's probably uh, he's For- probably got a Nancy Pearl one. Former host of Tech Stuff and early host of co-host of Stuff You Should Know. Mm-hmm. Before I snuffed him out, right. <laughs> uh, I just I didn't like kill him. I just chloroformed him, and he woke up in a library. Yeah, I was like I guess I'll get a degree. Yeah, that's exactly how it went. <laughs> uh, anyway, I hope this email wasn't too long. I thought you'd like to know about the rule of fifty. Uh, all the best, Erica in Boston. P.S. See you in Boston in October. All right. Thanks a lot. We're doing a show there. We sure are. And October 27th at the Wilbur Theater. Yep. You can still get tickets at sysklive.com. Bam. Thanks for the setup, Erica. Yep. Uh, if you want to set us up to plug our shows, we'd love that. You can tweet to us at SYSK Podcast. You can join us on Facebook.com slash Stuff You Should Know. You can send us an email to StuffPodcast at HowStuffWorks.com. And as always, join us at our home on the web, StuffYouShouldKnow.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. 